Hi everyone, it's Jermaine here. Just popping in to welcome you to Season 2, Episode 6 of Something to Eat and Something to Read. This episode is a bit different. Not only is it our Christmas episode, but it was also recorded at our first live event on Saturday, December 3rd. We had 50 listeners join us at the beautiful Henley Community Garden run by the Gladesville Happy Hens. We were surrounded by fruit trees, flowers, vegetable gardens, while sipping sparkling wine and talking food and books. Speaking of the books, you will hear me talk about a book with no title. (laughs) I think it's the third book I mention. You may guess what it is from the description, but if not, I was talking about The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley-Heller. While holding it up for the audience to see, I must have forgotten that you won't be able to see it in this format. You will, however, notice it on our Instagram advent. And as always, you'll find more information on all the books we talk about and the recipes we discuss in our show notes newsletter. For now, we hope you enjoy this episode. And on behalf of Sophie and I, we wish you a very happy festive season and new year. We will be back in your ears for the summer special. But until then, happy reading and eating. Welcome, everyone, to the Christmas episode, I'll just say. A live Christmas extravaganza. (laughs) Um, And before we start, we wanted to bring something to this garden event. So, Sophie, do you want to talk about your cake first? Sure. Okay, well, I have made a Christmas cake, of course, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the recipe and the man who wrote the recipe, my friend Nigel Slater. I like to think he's my friend because (laughs) um, I think he's a really special food writer. So I made a Christmas cake, and actually last night I iced it, and I had never made royal icing before, and I was like, spent ages getting it all perfect and smoothing it down, and I put a tea (laughs) towel over the top, and we went out for dinner, and we came back, and I lifted the tea towel, and the cat had walked. (laughs) (laughs) So rest assured, (laughs) it was completely covered with a very thick tea towel. So disclaimer. But if there's any little lumps, you're very lucky. It's Abby, (laughs) the cat. You can blame her. Yeah, that was her paw print. But it was a really thick tea towel. So don't worry, it's completely safe. So that's the story of my Christmas cake. (laughs) And I have made a couple of episodes ago. We talked about the Year of Miracles with Ella. Has anyone read that book or any of Ella's books? Not yet. Oh, they're Uh so good. Well, in that book, she has a three-ingredient brownie, which is literally Nutella, eggs, and I've actually used um, gluten-free flour as well. So it's a gluten-free brownie. Um, And it's Nutella. Did I say Nutella? Yeah, but is it gluten and Nutella? No, I checked the Ah. packet. Nutella (laughs) is gluten-free. And it has got hazelnut in it, but I, my neighbour's daughter is has a nut allergy, but she can eat Nutella. So I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so we just, yeah, both wanted to bring something that we had talked about over the year. So Emma and Jules are going to pass these around. So please feel free to take one while we start talking about okay. books and food. It's totally safe, I promise you. The cat did not actually <laughs> touch the cake at all. <laughs> When we were thinking about doing a Christmas episode, we were thinking about last year's episode, if any of you have listened to, which was about Jeanette Winterson's Christmas Days, depending on the edition that you have. (laughs) Everyone should have a copy of this book for every year. (laughs) That's right. And the whole idea of it was celebrating the lead up to Christmas and taking some time to reflect and 
not get caught up in the frenzy. And so we thought our Christmas episode this year should also be about enjoying the lead up to Christmas and having some stillness. So hopefully for this couple of hours this afternoon, everyone has a break from the real world outside and the fact it's December. And uh, yeah, what better place to do that than this beautiful garden? So thank you so much, Emma and the Happy Hens crew, because I feel like I haven't actually left the country. I did leave mm. this morning quite early. And my mum, Annie Heron, is here with me. Thanks, mum. And mum's my co-author on the book Around the Kitchen Table. And if anyone does want to talk, we've got our books here at the end as well, if anyone wants to grab a copy. Yeah, so we thought about doing this advent, which we've started on our Instagram and our newsletter, this idea of every day, just a quiet moment to reread a passage of a book or pick up a new book maybe make a cup of tea heat up a little mince tart whatever it is you've got sitting around a bit of christmas cake and just have 10 minutes to yourself of just calm even yesterday i was running around like a complete headless chook and i made myself just stop for 10 minutes and there's a wonderful chef in slovenia called anna ross i don't know if anyone's seen the chef's table episode of her I'm about to say I'll link it in the show notes anyway she talks about small (laughs) happinesses and she says even on her busiest day she's the first woman apart from Sky Gingell to have a Michelin star in Europe and she says even on her very busiest days she starts her day with a cup of coffee on the steps of her restaurant and she just drinks the whole cup of coffee and she sits there quietly in the sun and drinks her coffee and she said that's my small happiness and then I go Mm. into the kitchen and the day is just on and um, so hopefully this afternoon will be a small happiness for all of us. Mm. We've got a lot to get through. So mm. shall I start with my first one? Yeah. Oh, so we're doing oh, it yes. a bit differently it's this like, time yes. because we're not just talking about one book. We have each chosen six books out of the advent calendar. <laughs> and we'll be here till 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But there's lots of brownies and, short and, and there's lots of teas. <laughs> and there's lots of champagne too. We've barricaded the exit. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's a bit like, you know, the 12 days of Christmas where we've each chosen our six top books from the Advent and we thought we'd just talk about them. And we do have a couple of letters, but we also would love it if anyone in the audience has a question or or just a comment or anything to be part of the conversation. At any time. Oh, at any time. You can butt in at any time. <laughs> Within reason. <laughs> so let's kick off with you. Okay. All right. So my first book that I, we did on day one of our Advent is actually called Advent. Has anyone come across Anya Dunk? She's a German food writer living in London. I've been looking for her on Instagram. She's not there anymore for some reason, but her books are still very much here. And this absolutely beautiful book, she photographed the whole thing herself. She also did all of the artwork, mm. these beautiful, what would you call them? I'm like art lino cuts or lino cuts, yeah, <laughs> all through. They're really, really beautiful. But... What I wanted to start with, I think it's such a lovely idea, is this idea of bunte teller, which I had not come across before this book. And it's a German tradition of just colourful plates of biscuits and some little chocolates or sweets or whatever that you have ready when friends pop over for a coffee during the December time. So that busy period where you can just sit down and I wonder if I can find a picture of one and pull out a plate of biscuits and sweets and things. And I love how she talks about you start making them in late late November and you start with the kind of hard biscuits. So the gingerbreads, things like that, well, that will last for the whole month and you have a jar of them and then you might add softer biscuits like macaroons later in the season. And so you're adding to your Buntetella collection. So when people come over 
and she talks about how you make up a buntutella for a particular person. So you might put more coconut biscuits on yeah. Jermaine's if she likes coconuts. Or, um, and she writes here, One of the things I enjoy most about visiting friends during this period is the quiet sense of pride that ascends as the buntutella is placed on the table. It's inevitable that every biscuit has a story, usually attached to a person, and as each biscuit is carefully selected and eaten, the stories and recipes unfold along with them. So I feel like that's something that we could all do. Like that's a really beautiful little tradition to have. And even, I love saying this word, those pfeffernoose biscuits that you get at Aldi. I have to say they're really, really good. You don't have to make them if life's too busy. You don't have to be making 10 different biscuits and have them in jars. You could Mm. just buy a few yummy ones and have some of those yummy gold coin chocolates and things like that. And and I, I did that for my kids the other day and I put this plate down and they were just, even my 15 year old daughter, complete delight, you know, and I lit a little tea light candle and I put in there it was really lovely so I think these are things that are within our reach they're not hard they don't take hours of our time but just a little moment of delight so that's a, a tradition that I've grabbed onto and I'm going to make mm. my own as well so that's my first one what about you well my first one is Christmas days which <laughs> I know it feels like a repeat worthy repeat yeah because mm. it kind of set us off on this idea of how do you have like a ritual around the lead up to Christmas. I don't know how many people here have read it. What's her other one, the orange? What's that? Oranges of the the fruit. fruit. Has anyone read that? It's amazing. (laughs) Again, I think all my six books have also got quite a Christmas shape about them. Like they've all got some reminder of how it was Christmas. And this one I found during a lead up to a very, or just it was extremely busy and sort of fraught Christmas time. And it just really slowed me down and, and I started having a shortbread and a cup of tea every afternoon and, and reading another short story. So she has 12 stories and 12 different recipes in here and the recipes are all personal essays. What I'm noticing each year is that they, my favourite part of the book changes. And so the first year I read this, she's got a story in here about, which we talked about in the podcast last year, but the Christmas Eve and she sits down with a glass of champagne and smoked salmon and she creates her own doorway into Christmas as she calls it and I just thought that was such a lovely idea and I think at that time four or five years ago the thought of being on my own on Christmas Eve having my own this seemed like a dream heaven (laughs) yeah that's right so that was my favorite but I reread it this year obviously and I found that there's a couple of stories they're very childlike in that there's a magic you know there's a a snowman that comes alive and they've actually really captured me this year which probably says something about my year again but the other reason I love it is because it's one of those books where like I told Sophie about it she read it and loved it it's that reminder of how books can really strengthen or break perhaps a friendship (laughs) and when someone you care about loves the book you love I don't know it adds something to it so I do have that secret handshake we were talking about that's right yeah. we were in last episode yeah. don't we yeah so that's my first book yeah I as I said I, I do think this book I've given it to about six friends now and I was like every Christmas you've got to get this out and read a story <laughs> every day and I have to also say if anyone's got an audible account not that this mm. is, I wish this was sponsored by them but it's not <laughs> um it's free like it's a free extra one and she reads them and we've I've listened to them in the car with the kids and there's a ghost story in there that my 13 year old mm has asked to listen to about five more times. It's so scary, but so well. And she reads it in her very kind of scary voice. <laughs> she is a bit scary. Anyway, it's such a good book. My second book is um, Festive Spirits by Kate Atkinson. 
I love this writer and I'm sure a lot of you guys enjoy her books. It's three short stories and the short story that I loved particularly was called, it's called Lucy's Day and it's about this mum going to her kids nativity play and and she writes, would her children be happy? Lucy wondered. Probably not. Hardly anyone was. <laughs> Little moments. That was the best you could ask for. An epiphany here and there. The occasional short-lived burst of joy. The world turning one more time. The sun coming up. The spring returning. A baby waking up and smiling at you. Little lights in the dark. Harriet Raven, principal, clapped her hands to signal the start. The angel Gabriel walked in warily on stage and the parental iPhones were held aloft in worship. (laughs) (laughs) And the whole story is actually just reminded me so much of those years when our kids were really little and we'd go to their school for their nativity play and it was a little country school and we'd all be sitting outside on the hill and they'd all be running around just with their saintly teachers just being so cute and I'd always look at my Tim my husband go oh let's have another baby (laughs) (laughs) so I could have just this longer supply of these really precious nights and I just the magic of Mm. Christmas with those little kids and those they're just so sweet those nativity plays with them in it so it really took me there so it's a beautiful collection of short stories so that's my second Mm. I'm going to borrow that one from you after yes it's gorgeous Uh, okay so my second it's quite different. It's actually Helen Garner's one of her last diary, How to End a Story. Not so joyful. Not so. <laughs> <laughs> what does that say about? You're such a downer, Jermaine. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, do, I was thinking that when I went through my favourite books. That yeah, there's a there's darkness no, and light. Yes. <laughs> Has anyone read? Well, I know there's some Helen Garner fans in the crowd here. I heard about this book last Christmas at my where I practice psychotherapy at those rooms another psychotherapist there was talking to me about books and last year I started psychoanalytic training part of that training is going into your own personal analysis which um, is four days a week yeah it's it's very full on and she said to me have you read this book because Helen Garner has gone through her own analysis and she writes extensively about the experience in here and so I grabbed it straight away and read it over Christmas and it really spoke to me because she hated it as much as I was hating it in the beginning. (laughs) She talks a lot about how much it actually did help and there was a purpose to my training but it then it made me think that her writing is so insightful and so there's such an understanding there about human nature that it makes perfect sense actually that she's gone through you know her own analysis. So if you haven't read Helen Garner's this diary um, I thoroughly recommend it. Can I start there, or do I have to start at the... No, actually, I, you know, you can start here. You just start in 1995. I haven't read the other diaries, actually. I was drawn to the... the this, is, so this is about her marriage ending. So, yeah, it's a bit of a downer in that way. <laughs> but she, she grows. She learns a lot. But I know there's a huge Helen Garner fan in the crowd who would... Tell you, fill you in on whether you should start at the beginning. It's fine to start with that one, but you, you should in time read all of them. Yeah, okay. Everything she's ever read. Okay, good. Yeah, there's oh, two Helen Garner fans in the crowd. There you go. Yeah. Oh, maybe they'll be next Christmas. I'll have another. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, your next one. Okay, so from the highbrow to the, well, not lowbrow, but um, got Harry Potter. It's yeah. not lowbrow. <laughs> no, it's not lowbrow. Well, I actually read this with my kids, but. The, the scene that in the very first book, uh, when Harry's first Christmas at Hogwarts, what's to me is just, I mean, of course it's magical because it's a book of magic, but um, 
it's that idea of that wondrous feast and all everyone at the table and Dumbledore, you know, merrily jo- laughing at someone's joke and, and this wonder that Harry felt as a kid who had grown up in a house where food was withheld and not a source of joy or generosity or um, great pleasure to be sitting at this table and you know and then at the end of the day the description of the afternoon playing in the snow a game of chess and a fireside supper of turkey sandwiches crumpets trifle and Christmas cake it's just so roundly cozy (laughs) isn't it and I mean you can see all the marks my daughter's put in this book I think it is just especially this first one it was just such a revelation to anyone who likes to get lost in new worlds Mm. and um i think the christmas in particularly that idea of poor little harry who'd had such miserable christmases up until now just blown away and i think yeah the magic of this time it's just a good reminder of that so thanks harry thanks (laughs) jaco rowling over to you i'm noticing that sophie highlights inside her books which i hadn't seen before (laughs) And I think that's always a really interesting thing about people, I fold pages, like, actually I do highlight, and recently I was at a cafe reading a book, which was actually a book for my analytic training, so I feel like it's a textbook, but this woman leaned over and said, I hope that's not a library book, and I felt like this 12-year-old again, and then she said... It's all right, I'm a librarian. Actually, there's another librarian in the audience. And she's obviously spent her life as a school librarian going through books, seeing the marked. But it took me a few years to feel I could write in my books. But is that something Um, that you've often done? Always done, I should say? Well, I mean, I did it for today because I wanted to be able to find the bits I wanted to read out loud. But I feel like the privilege of buying a book Mm. is that you can live in it and like this is my book I've got notes all over it my name's in it yeah and I think that's nice to be able to do like it's I love I borrow books from libraries well but if I really love a book I want to own it and Mm. look at it on the shelf and think about it and come back to it and it doesn't worry me if it's a bit ragtag because it's my book (laughs) well I'm just thinking it's a true shape the book's left on you you really own the book don't you Um, and of course like cookbooks you know the the pages that are stuck together they're the best oh yeah like, I don't enjoy cooking off a screen at all, really, especially because I want to, you know, move things or and, or, it, or it locks, the screen locks and you've got to, like, wipe your fingers and mm. unlock it. And, and I think that's the joy of a cookbook is that, you know, I can open this every December and make that recipe and remember the mark I made last year. And, mm. um, yeah, that's the privilege of owning a book, I guess, isn't it, that you can live in it. Completely. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Okay, my next book actually is a book I read on my Kindle and then I had to go and buy it. This is another book I read last summer, actually, after in our final episode you mentioned it saying... I love it when I get to recommend you a book. (laughs) (laughs) And I just devoured it. Has anyone read it? Anyone read it? Oh, there's a few. Yeah, it's good. Yes, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I completely devoured it and... um, it's another book where actually I told friends about who also read it around the same time, which kind of adds to it as well, doesn't it? But it is, I found a very page-turning story about middle age and reflecting on different choices you could have made, particularly with the partner you end up choosing and also understanding the inter- intergenerational trauma and how trauma can also impact you. But ultimately, it's like a love, a love triangle story. If you've listened to our podcast at the beginning of the year, you'll know that there's confusion about the ending and who she ends up with. Sophie and I both had the same ending. And then I listened to the author interviewed and it came up in that interview that she was really shocked that 
people had been confused about the ending. And one of her English editor thought she ended up with someone, and her American editor said, "No, no, she ends up with so and so." And she's sitting there going, I thought that was really clear. And then she actually ends up saying who it is. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I was wrong. We like, both had it wrong. And then we both had it wrong. And so then I made my friends read it to say, well, who do you think she ends up with? And they fell into camps of, well, I think I made some nervous with the whole, I don't know. I don't think I know. I don't know. <laughs> Over there. And then a few, it's very obvious. Like, I don't know how you miss that. So I think, again, this shows how we read books the way we need to read them at the time. And Sophie and I obviously needed it to end the way it didn't end. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, you know, you must read it and then you must write to us and say who you think she ends up with and we can... Have you read it, Mummy? No. Oh, well, there you go. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> it's being made into a film, I think, right oh, now. Oh, yeah. how exciting. Okay, so I'm excited about this next one because, as I alluded to before, I'm a huge... Nigel Slater fan. I, I genuinely don't think there's anyone that writes about food quite as beautifully as Nigel. Nigella, close second, but definitely I'm a Nigel person. And has anyone got this book? It's very, I mean, it's um, it's essential recipes for midwinter. So it's obviously very British, um, but it's also very Christmassy. So there's a lot in there that I adore. And it's another book that Actually, this is brand new because I lent my other one to a friend and she lost it. Oh. Um, so I had to buy a brand new one, which is fine. I'm over it. But <laughs> it's the kind of book, it's it's day by day. So every day of December, you can open it and find a reflection or a recipe. And there's quite a lot of history about Stir Up Sunday and all sorts of things. And it actually goes right through to February. But the cake, the Christmas cake that you've all just had, that I probably could have left a little bit longer but it's a bit crumbly but it's a really yummy light easy cake to make and he writes it's about I don't know 30 pages on this cake and the history of it and the story and he says when you offer a slice of Christmas cake you are handing over a box of jewels the dried fruits that came here with the Venetian traders soaked in brandy and spices from the Orient an edible version of the gifts of three wise men offered to the infant or if you prefer, just think of it as a piece of fruitcake. You're cool. <laughs> <laughs> but here he goes on to write, and I love this. He says, cake holds a family together. I really believe it did. My father was a different man when there was cake in the house. Warm. <laughs> <laughs> the sort of man I wanted to hug rather than shy away from. If he had a plate of cake in his hand, I knew it would be all right to climb up onto his lap. There was something about the way my mother would put a cake on the table that made me feel all was well, safe, secure, unshakable. I feel much the same about cake to this day and no more so than at this time of year. Hmm. And I think that's so, again, this is something that is so within our reach is to make a cake. It doesn't have to be a Christmas cake. It could be a packet cake. It could be a butter cake, whatever. And I do think, I remember when I'd been travelling, I'd been overseas and I came home and the kids were getting off the bus and I made a pound cake. And Tommy walked in and goes, oh, the house smells like you, mum. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, it was the best. It was such a lovely thing to say. But I do feel like when there is a cake on the table or something, whether it's shop-bought or you've made it, it does feel like all is well. Like, it's going to be mm. okay. We can sit and have a piece of cake and talk about it. <laughs> really do recommend making this one. It's actually on the Guardian's website for free, that, that cake Christmas cake recipe. But... And I just like the ritual of it, you know, this idea that you put aside half a day and you get people to stir and which mum, because we made this last week and I remember there's a, is it clockwise or anti-clockwise you stir the Christmas cake? Clockwise, yeah, is it? You have to and you make a wish. 
yeah, it's yes, that, it's okay, it's clockwise. But today, um, I got an email from a food web blog website place, and it was like Christmas cooking shortcuts, and they were like six minute Christmas cake mug cake thing for the microwave, and then there was a three ingredient Christmas cake, and I was like. <laughs> Three ingredient Christmas cake. I'm sure it's fine, but you know, what would those ingredients be? I can't imagine. Anyway, I think some things are worth putting a little bit of time mm. into and the reward and the way the house smells. Yeah, it's mm. really a joyful thing. So that's my other one. Nigel Slater. It's definitely worth adding to your little Christmas library. <laughs> But you're talking about the process again, aren't you, there? Like yeah. using all your senses, so the smell of the house and the taking the time, thinking about is it clockwise or anti-clockwise? Yeah. Sort of another way of slowing down, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And involving the family with the wishing and... Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's nice. Yes. Very nice. Um, my next one is actually a new a new book for this year. I think it's been out for a couple of months. Diana Reed, Seeing Other People. She wrote Love and Virtue that was out last year. I actually really preferred this one to Love and Virtue. It sort of has been marketed as a bit of a summer read. I have had for years this problem with Australian writers. Like I find it quite hard to find particularly contemporary fiction. She's cured me of that now because it's really lovely actually to read about all these Sydney suburbs and beaches. It's Sydney and Uni, isn't it? Or the first that's one the was. first one said at Sydney yeah. Uni. I think that's why I didn't enjoy it as much because it felt too true to Sydney Uni of the 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't go back there. God, it was just, it was worse than I understood at the time. Anyway, this is a bit different to that. There, It's this era, or as in present day, it's about two sisters and it's another love triangle story. Is it a good beach read? Looks like it. But it does say a good beach read. And yes, it is. It's very fast paced. But again, there's a lot of depth to it if you want to read into the depth. So I think that I enjoyed it. Like don't, I sometimes get annoyed when they say, oh, it's an easy read because I think you can read it at all different levels. But she, I wonder if she's had therapy too because she seems to have an insight into (laughs) human nature that was refreshing to read. The characters aren't thin, I should say that. They're very real, very flawed, but still very lovable, which I think are the best ingredients for Mm. a character-driven novel. So that was my next one. And what's the Christmas bit in it? Is there a Christmas Oh, well, that's coming up on the Advent. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> but there is, Christmas Day is in this book. There is one Christmas Day in this book, and that's coming up in the final week of Advent. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. Oh, okay. A sneak preview. A sneak preview. <laughs> the two sisters are Eleanor, who's the older sister, and Charlie, Charlotte, is the younger sister. And Eleanor is the typical, responsible very straight-laced older rule follower older sister and Charlie's an actor actor I should say and much more flamboyant and whatever so so Charlie arrives at Eleanor's at, they live in Potts Point to on Christmas morning to pick her up in the middle of the chopping board sat a very flat pavlova despite being no higher than a pancake it still managed to sag in the middle <laughs> Charlie leaned forward to inspect it and was slapped away I'm almost done Charlie reached for a punnet of blueberries. She was slapped away again, so she sat on the couch at the other side of the room and watched. I want to see how you or you think of this. Okay. Like, Eleanor always cooked like someone had asked her to do it, even though nobody ever did. <laughs> Measurements were precise. Results were invariably imperfect and stress levels ran high. 
It was stressful too for those who had to eat her creations. <laughs> they would smile even as they chewed because they could tell, no matter how many times Eleanor said, the recipe is surprisingly easy, <laughs> that her sanity had been diced very finely by the whole <laughs> ordeal. <laughs> oh, so actually, again, food gives away a lot about character. You get a lot of Eleanor in that description. <laughs> oh, I... That makes me sad, this idea of your sanity being diced by cooking. And like, cooking as an ordeal, like I, that's still actually, it shouldn't be, you know. And it's, I guess, taking, having the time to to make that pavlova. What was she making when she was dicing her sanity? Oh, just anything. Oh, anything. Oh. <laughs> um, I can't wait to read that now. I'm definitely going to have a go. Oh, you might, you can take that home with you. Oh, yeah, we'll do a swap, yeah. swap pass. Okay, my next one is... A uh, bit of a change of pace. Uh, Claire Keegan's Small Things Like These. Has anyone read this book? It's mm. so, so good, but it's a total punch in the guts. It's really not harrowing. It's, it's just <laughs> yeah. full on. Like, it's for such a small book, it is incredibly beautifully written and it, mm. it's incredibly moving. Um, it's a novella, as you can see, it's small, and it's <clears throat> set in, I think, 1985 in a small Irish town in the run up to Christmas. And it follows the ma- a man called Bill Furlong, and he's a coal merchant, and he finds a young mother locked in a convent coal shed, leaking milk, mourning the loss of her baby, um, and she's working one of those Magdalene laundries, mm. and so it's it's heavy. This encounter changes Bill fundamentally, and it really changes the way he views his world, and it forces him to rethink his own story, his morals, his place in the town. And there's a, a section in the book quite up uh, up early where the whole family he's got five daughters I think mm. and they go every year there's a tradition on the first Sunday of December the whole family they go down to the to the square and they all with the whole town and they all look at the big tree and then they have the hot chocolate and gingerbread and it's freezing and they come home and have dinner and then the mother Eleanor Eleanor uh, they make the Christmas cake and it's this sort of whole family occasion and she says, good-humouredly, she took down her Odlum's recipe, got Furlong to cream a pound of butter and sugar in the brown Delft bowl with the hand mixer, while the girls grated lemon rind, weighed and chopped candied peel and cherries, soaked whole almonds in boiled water, slipped them from their skins. For an hour or so, they raked through the dried fruit, picking stalks out of sultanas, currants and raisins, while Eileen sifted flour and spice, beat up bantam eggs and greased and lined the tin, wrapping the outside with two layers of brown paper and tying it tight with twine. And they continue and they make the cake and they put it in the oven and they stoke up the Rayburn to go all night. They clean down the kitchen. Then she brings out the iron. She starts ironing the girls writing their Christmas cards. And and Furlong, who's had this encounter a few days earlier, is sitting and thinking how mechanical their life is. It's just always another job. There's always tasks. It's always we don't stop and think. And he says, what would life be like if they were given the time to think and reflect over things? Might their lives be different or much the same? Or would they lose the run of themselves? And he kind of does in a, you could argue, a good way in a certain point. And actually, Mum and I were talking about this in the car. I would love you guys to read it. And again, it's one of those books where the ending, mm. I've had to rethink how I thought the ending was. So, yeah, please read it and oh. let us know um, what you think. Yeah. But I highly recommend it because it is, it's actually ultimately a story of love and, and doing the right thing, um, I think. It's obviously incredibly sad, but so well written. So uh, it's a sort of unexpected entry into my Christmas list, but, um, and the food. And it, and it also reads like it was set in the 50s, the mm. drudgery of the domesticity of life, but it was mid-80s. It was just hard, mm. just a hard time. Yeah. <laughs> 
I find that so funny that you think um, it was really heavy. I mean, no, I don't find it funny. It makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, it's beautiful. It is so beautifully written. And I found a lot of hope in it, particularly by yeah. the choice he makes. And, yes. And just he's so reflective and it's a beautiful book. And I, yeah. Mm. Yeah, highly recommend it. But you're right, it's an odd one in your list. Yeah. <laughs> Harry <But>. Potter. <laughs> Make <Magdalene> nursery. <laughs> no, it's good. It shows, you know, you're open-minded. <laughs> My next, okay, well, light relief. Finally, light relief for me. <laughs> I've gone to a graphic novel for my next choice this is a book called overheard the art of eavesdropping by oslo davis who i think it's the age newspaper he had a weekly column a weekly cartoon where he literally did just draw a cartoon of just overhearing people talking in the street actually maybe this is a good follow-on from small things like these if you feel a bit battered by that you can uh, read get a sense of people watching from the comfort of home yeah i mean yeah he's in an art gallery that one almost makes me want to vomit <laughs> <laughs> so did someone actually say that yes. you know that? Oh. Yeah, heard. oh that was about david hockney that, oh that, yeah no, that's not nice is it <laughs> um yeah so and he goes through relationships and um family and you know here's a couple on the harbour promenade on tuesday at midday her, were you even listening to what I said? Him, no, but I know what you're thinking. <laughs> so it really is a lovely, and I got given this for Christmas a few years ago from my children because I love people watching, obviously, <laughs> and eavesdropping. And I find the older I get, the harder it is to hide it from my family. So I'll be at a restaurant listening to the other table and then be told, you're not paying it, you're not here. Where are you? <laughs> so I don't know, that's an age-related thing. But this book has been a lovely reminder that there are people who are still out there eavesdropping. And I'll read you one more. I should have I should have highlighted it, Sophie. Yeah. Oh, well, here we go, a bottle shop. No, 7-Eleven at Monday at 9am. Just that and 17 bags of ice. So, yeah. Anyway, a very fun book to add to my Christmas list. I'm definitely going to get that. It would be a great prezi, wouldn't it? Someday? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my last one is um, Wombat Divine, which actually I get teary every time I pick this book. <laughs> it just reminds me again, I think I'm very nostalgic for those mm. early Christmas. baby years. I have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old, so they're definitely not grown, but they're teenagers and they don't want to sit on my lap while I read them Wombat Divine anymore. <laughs> so I've actually bought a copy for my niece Maggie, who's three, and I'm going to make her listen to me, read it to her. <laughs> but I remember when I would read this, especially to Tommy, and he'd always be so worried. Wouldn't Wombat get his part in the play? You know, is he going to get his part? And I don't want to be, you know, spoiler alert, he does get the part. But, <laughs> but uh, this is a brand new um, brand new copy for Maggie, so I'll try not to um, mess <laughs> No up. highlighting. But, yeah, no, I'm not highlighting this. But I just love it. On Christmas Day, when everyone was opening presents and eating pudding, they all agreed it had been the best nativity ever. You were divine, Wombat, says Emu. And his little face, <laughs> oh, it's just magical. So I think sometimes a good memfops memfox book mm. um, even for adults a little reread i sometimes just go through the um books just because i'm sorting them out ostensibly but i'm actually just sitting reading them and remembering <laughs> but these books 
I think are really special to keep. I've got a pile of those kids' books that mm-hmm. aren't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, all those Lego books that came with the toys and things, they're gone. They're long gone. <laughs> but this one is going to stay forever. Well, actually, my copy at home, this is going to make it. But, um, so that's my six books. You've got one more to go? Mm, I've got one more to go. I'm, started, I'm ending with how I started another cooking memoir. This one is by John Baxter, Cooking for Claudine. I found this book. Oh, years ago, and people who live in the inner west will remember Shearer's Bookshop, which is this wonderful bookshop that's no longer there. They had a cafe in it as well. And so my treat that Christmas was dropping my children at primary school and going to get a coffee and I ended up always buying a book. And I saw this one and thought, oh, I'll flick through that. I'm having coffee. And I just couldn't put it down. And I have reread it numerous times. John Baxter's Australian and he moved to Paris, well, maybe now it's 30 years ago because maybe 10 years ago, and fell in love with a French woman and got married. He ended up with a job of cooking Christmas lunch for his French family. And this whole book is the whole lead up to Christmas. They drive to different towns to find the right cheese, the right seaside village to buy the oysters, the type of butcher they go to to get the pig whose snout doesn't fit in the oven and like all those things. So it was really transportative, really lovely escapism. And he also has some recipes in the back. It's different to Jeanette Winterson. It is literally a memoir about preparing for uh, Christmas lunch rather than sort of fiction and stuff too. But really enjoyable if you feel like travelling to France from here. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that's it. So... There are books. I hope we've given you guys some ideas and things that you might like to add to your Christmas library. We've got a couple of letters that we thought we might do. We always do books and then letters, so we'll do those and um, and then hopefully we can have a bit of a chat and get some feedback. Mm-hmm. Shall I read the letter? It's a yeah. short one, actually. Yeah, yeah. That's our, yeah. <laughs> it's actually one line. Uh, I'm emerging from a marriage breakup and I need some lightness and happiness in my life. Maybe a bit of courage, too. So, Jermaine, okay. would you like to start with the book? I'm going back to graphic novels for this I one. I love how you go with Ooh. graphic novels. I know it's people never think I, I feel no, like I don't, I don't know if anyone here is a graphic novel reader I you gave one about Iran oh Perse- Persepolis that was yeah Persepolis yeah, yeah that's oh, it really, yes really, really worth reading okay yeah. we'll add that to the show notes yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Have a brownie>. <laughs> <laughs> I find um people also talk about when they're going through a really hard time poetry can be really helpful because it's short and you don't have to you just kind of let the words wash over you and I actually think graphic novels kind of do a similar task of taking you out of well you don't need to concentrate and be focused so much and I chose this book The Principles of Uncertainty it's by Myra Kalman she's most she's an artist actually most famous for New Yorker book covers from oh like years ago she's in her 80s now and she is just her novel is just filled actually she's a people watcher as well but um, her novel's filled with her paintings of seeing people on the street in New York Um, she talks, her husband died very suddenly at a very young age, well you know in middle age she talks about the loss of him, I've got some pages folded over 
she just makes you smile, but there's also a depth to it that makes you feel like, oh, someone's actually experienced some real turmoil and difficult times. So, you know, like after a bad night, she has a picture here of the breakfast with the lingering bad dream malaise. I recommend anyone who feels they can't get into a novel at the moment or doesn't want to read really heavy or real life things but needs to feel like they're not reading fluff and someone who's been there before and understands I think um, this is a good genre to think about trying and I didn't prepare myself well enough to find why have I turned this page down Um, oh that's right because she talks about she's had enough and that is utterly true. I happen to be alive, end of discussion, but I will go out and buy a hat. <laughs> so, yeah. so um, it's just lovely. Oh, I love it. She's also recently, and I wish we lived in New York because it's so much more accessible. She just had an exhibition of paintings of holding in all its different ways. So mothers holding babies oh, or, wow. um, hold, and I think it actually was done for charity. It's been turned into a book, but not available here. Or unless you want to pay $80 for, you know, it's ridiculous. But anyway, she also is a Holocaust survivor. There's a lot in there about intergenerational trauma. And there's that lovely dark humour that kind of makes it feel bearable, Mm. I think. So, yeah, that's my recommendation for that letter. The, the problem with this doing this podcast with you is that I'm spending so much money on books because every time we do one, I would like go and order a whole bunch of new books. But I'm definitely gonna get that, and no, it's I a really beautiful, heavy. That. Come and have a look yeah. afterwards at the books; they'll just be sitting yes, here. Please click through. So that's a really beautiful, very um, thought-provoking book, and I'm going to talk about a sponge cake now. So <laughs> because she asks for lightness and happiness and a bit of courage, and I think you cannot be not delighted by a sponge cake it's one of those pure joys of life and it is light and it is happy but this recipe I'm going to share it also has stability and just because of the method because you're going to whisk in some melted butter into some milk at the end into your sponge mixture and somehow it just holds it aloft it doesn't there is no risk of it going poof when you get it out of the oven because that is the last thing our letter writer needs is to spend an afternoon making a sponge and then take it out and oh god so it's a beautiful sponge cake recipe I shared it recently in a, on my blog and I'm going to read you get and share it again but I think you can take courage that this recipe will, will work um, take it to work share it with your family just share it with yourself you cannot not be delighted with, with sponge and I think as Nigel says we've just read it out there is something about having a cake on the table that makes you feel all is well, safe, mm. secure and unshakable. So I feel like much can be achieved in terms of shifting your headspace with a beautiful sponge mm. cake on the table. So that's my lightness and happiness and a bit of courage. <laughs> that was thought-provoking. I think what you're saying about cake is extremely thought-provoking. <laughs> we go deep on cake. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not just cake, is it? I mean, no. Yeah. yeah. It's that act of caring for yourself. We talked a lot about this in the last episode about Rebecca May Johnson's book, that seeing your needs and seeing that maybe you just need to actually make yourself something really delightful and a bit like frivolous but vital mm. um, is important for yourself as well. And I think recognising that need and, and feeding it is a really um, special thing to do for yourself. So, mm. yes, we should all make more sponge cakes. <laughs> Well, that's the courage too, isn't it? To admit that you need to take care of yourself and that's okay. Yeah. What was that? To eat cake. Oh, the, yeah, the courage to eat cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to read our second letter. It's quite a long one. Okay. 
<laughs> Courage. I am going home for Christmas for a number of reasons. It may well be our last or only family holiday with all six of us that we will remember, as my oldest is 19 and will be moving on with his life, a fact we celebrate and mourn, and my youngest is 11, and therefore too young to remember our trips before the COVID years. Included in the trip are two weeks in the UK to have our first English Christmas with my family, and our first one all together in seven years. It is always a little bittersweet without my dad, whose presence is long missed, but it is definitely a time for celebration. What will make the trip a little more interesting and is making my mother slightly apprehensive is a history of tension between my brother and sister. I refuse to get sucked into any drama and can smooth almost any situation, but I want her to feel excitement and eagerness about spending this time together. So do you have a suggestion for a book that celebrates the joy of family reconnection or something that will bring light to dark winter evenings? Something fun but real would be grand. And she's always fond of a murder. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not in real life. That could be the solution, actually. In terms of asking for something to cook, I am being held responsible for an Australian-style brunch limited by available ingredients, so sadly no mango unless I smuggle them in, which I may, and need something sweet, but light to finish the traditional croissants and smoked salmon, and that won't compete with pavlova and Christmas pudding that will be served after late lunch. Also, my mother loathes cream and milk unless cooked into a cheese sauce, so yogurt is out. Hope that's not too prescriptive. <laughs> I love listening to you both and hearing your discussions. So we'll go to the food first. Cause okay. That's a that's a big ask. <laughs> no, this is great. I like I like prescriptions. It's good. So, well, my first thought was something with panettone. Like, there's nothing. The smell of toasting panettone on Christmas morning and a glass of prosecco um, is just the best. But perhaps knowing that there's things happening as well, there's croissants and smoked salmon as well in their brunch. Maybe that's a bit much. And then I thought maybe morning buns. You know, you could do a, like a cardamom spiked. Um, swirly morning bun but you'd have to have that made the night before and then I was like well are you going to be that annoying person that requires a lot of fridge space on a busy fridge night in the kitchen <laughs> so maybe not that so then I thought a warm a warm Christmas crumble it's there in the UK it's going to be cold <clears throat> you could use frozen berries rhubarb um, I'd put in some vanilla some orange zest and perhaps a, like a cinnamon stick so you cook the fruit that will smell delicious and be delicious and if you didn't want to do the crumble, you could just put that on top of panettone. But for the crumble topping, I was sort of thinking more like granola-y. Um, so lots of oats and toasted nuts, maybe some coconut. So we kind of that Australian nod of the granola, the berries, and then kind of bind it together with some a bit of butter and marzipan, like crumble in some marzipan, put that on top. So that is done in the fridge like two or three days in advance. doesn't take a heap of room up. Mm. No one's going to get cross with you for hogging the fridge. <laughs> and then three, 30 or 40 minutes before you want to serve that, put it in, and it's going to be so yummy for brunch or mm. dessert even and I was thinking that the mum who doesn't like yogurt could have a coconut yogurt which could be mm. a beautiful time with the coconutty crumble topping so I'll put the recipe down as well send it to you guys but I was thinking that could be a really nice thing and a hot baked thing for a brunch always just feels like you've gone to that much like mm. higher level of effort where you haven't really it's not hard this <laughs> stuff it just smells amazing it looks amazing and you can just like win at brunch so that's that's the aim at least yeah <laughs> sounds good and hot's good in cold england yeah okay my book prescription actually i think i have managed to meet all 
the mother's needs the here. I've got I've got a mystery. Uh-huh. Well, it could be a murder or not. Like there's something in there that's um, very much about family reconnection with a mystery at the course. When God Was a Rabbit by Sarah Winmond, if anyone's read that here, well, there's a few. Uh, we love Sarah Winmond. We love Sarah Winmond, yeah. <laughs> this is still my favourite, though. Is it? Even more so than Still Life, I think. Uh, maybe just again, because when I read it, it just took me by surprise. It is a story of Ellie and her family and her pet rabbit named God. Uh, they're a very quirky family, and it goes from the 1960s all through her childhood to the early 2000s. It's just, again, one of those lovely tales about real characters who are quite are very flawed in lots of ways and quite damaged in other ways and also um, very lovable. And there's, a lot of, there's, there's, funny, there's funny parts in there as well, as well as this mystery where we don't know what's happened to someone. So that might fulfil the whole nice like one. A murder. That so was a tall order. You made it. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> so that's us, but we could now go to the audience if anyone has anything they want to <laughs> ask or say. I think we don't have any. No. Other. Well, I guess, uh, has anyone read any of the books that we've mentioned and felt otherwise? Or have we forgotten, mm, yeah. have we missed any obvious Christmas mm. reads? Um, yeah. Any thoughts, feelings? Oh, thanks. Hi. Yes, yes. So the question was, could we put a list of all the books together? And we just so happen to be doing that already. We're doing a reading, reading and eating advent on our Instagram and also on our newsletter. But for everyone who's here today, we'll just send them all in one list as well for you. So mm, it's nice Because we've easy. got everyone's email. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, there's some good ones in there as well. I, I'm so excited about yours. I think I've just ticked off a few more Christmas presents. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for sitting here with us this afternoon I actually feel I was really really nervous about this thinking god what have I got to say for an hour about books but um I could actually sit and talk to Jermaine all day and actually when we record sometimes I do forget that it's not just my private therapy session and I have to remember (laughs) oh actually I've got to sort of get back onto track a little bit so thank you I love doing this with you yes thank you for being here with us today it's a beautiful space and Mm. um yeah we're not going anywhere so let's hang out and have a little chat and um I really appreciate you all being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.